Are you ready to add a new city to that list of Detroit suburbs that we need to make a map of? No, not another one. I mean, I'm excited. I shouldn't say like that. But like, gosh, this map is getting complex, guys. It's getting beyond what I think I could do just by myself. I think I'm going to need help putting together this map <laughs> eventually. But we're still really excited because what an interesting band that we're adding the city for. I mean... Frigid Pink? Come on. Even their name is super cool. Oh, I love their name too. And that is Frigid with a J, by the way. <laughs> but yes, we are adding another city, Allen Park, to mm. that list of Detroit suburbs, to that map that hopefully we'll get around to making eventually. I don't know, my guy. <laughs> it's a pretty big map now. My brain can barely process it. I hope somebody's making a list of cities because I haven't been. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, we'll see if we get around to making that map eventually and... In the meantime, Frigid Pink. From Mackinac to Motown, from Muskegon to Madonna. I'm Maggie. And I'm Bree. You're listening to The Musical Mitten. There is something really interesting about this band name for a couple of reasons. Because Frigid Pink. <laughs> We're looking at, first of all, Frigid is spelled with a J. <laughs> Which, in case you weren't aware, it's normally spelled with a G. It's sort of also a playoff of refrigerator, which for some reason, before I double checked, I thought was spelled with a J, but it's not actually. <laughs> I can't blame you because I can barely pronounce the word refrigerator, let alone stop to think about how to spell it. It has haunted me since I was a child. I don't know why I can spell. I did like spelling bees as a kid. This word? No. No. It's weird. I think it's spelled with a J in Italian, but not in English. So maybe know. I'm just flipping it with the <laughs> Italian in my own head. I don't know. No, when... I think that it is weird, but because of the duality, like frigid makes me think of cold winters, lonely, I don't know. But then pink is like soft and springy and yeah, so the combination's weird to me. It is. And when you see pink <laughs> in a band name, like it's been used in band names before, of course, like we know pink, Pink Floyd is out there. Like I'm sure it's in others, but those are our two most notable. And they're not like particularly like light- flowery springy <laughs> no. bands because it's really weird because yeah when you think of pink you think of spring you think of light and airy maybe it's a folk band maybe it's indie something like that <laughs> not but, this yeah. no <laughs> i think what's really interesting is yeah you're right we do see this duality with like the cold the frigid and then the light springy Soft. flowery pink yeah and i love how this band name came about <laughs> i feel like there have been many jokes about the name <laughs> that's oh that's a fair point i did see in an interview that was posted to psychedelic baby magazine that they were talking to rick stevers the drummer this was just last year and there have been some misconceptions about this band name Ooh, what are some common ones? Really, like, the main one that I'm focusing on here is people think pink, they think feminine, right? They think yeah. women. And then frigid, cold women. Uh, right. Like, cold-hearted, standoffish. Yeah. A lot of people have also taken that as an innuendo as well, but, like, <laughs> in the most literal sense, they just mean, like, a cold-hearted woman, basically. Mm. And that's not at all what it meant. Like, they were also thinking of refrigerators when <laughs> they thought of the name. I think it's a really cute story, actually. And the creativity, kind of, because I wouldn't have associated refrigerators with a band name. 
I don't know why, but that's not something that like crosses my mind. It's weird though, because like think about it like when you want to name things, you're going to look at what's around you. <laughs> that's kind of fair when people like panic and try to think of like a fake name for anything. They just look around in every TV shop. They're like, Griffin, pandas. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they're at the zoo. I just named animals. I was thinking of a very specific episode or something. <laughs> I love it when I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, back on track. Yeah, I've noticed that it's like a common joke even like used in TV that people just frantically look around and try to say the first thing and seem inconspicuous about naming something off of it. Well, first of all, let's back it up a little bit. The band originally started as the Detroit Vibrations. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. The Vibrations actually started in 1964. A lot of this information is available on the Michigan Rock and Roll Legends Hall of Fame website. And they were like this teen R&B band, did a lot of like Motown stuff. But no, they eventually became Frigid Pink. And I think it was around that time when, you know, the whole band was sitting together trying to think of how to rebrand themselves from this teen Vibrations group that they have been for a few years at this point. And... Kind of just looking around the room and trying to figure out, okay, what should we name this? What can we go off of? What's going to get our imagination going so that we can come up with something catchy? Right. And it's funny because I think they started more with the pink idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering. You want to explain? <laughs> this is so cute. I love this. Because like, okay, when you paint a room, you're going to get paint everywhere, right? Oh, yeah. Every single time. I always get into my hair, my clothes, my shoes, everything. I'm a mess. Yeah. (laughs) So they were painting a bathroom pink and the pink ended up in their hair. Mm -hmm. And do you remember, might not necessarily remember this, but you might have like seen it, like the trend of having frosted tips in your hair. Yeah, it was a bad face for everyone involved, but it was there. It happened. (laughs) It happened. And at this time, it was like a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And because there was pink in their hair and it sort of looked like they had their hair frosted, (laughs) it was Clara Stevers who suggested frosted pink. And for reference, Clara Stevers is actually the drummer's mother. So I think it was super sweet because she like sees them and then it's like frosted pink, you know, like your hair, the frosted tips. And yeah, obviously that wasn't quite right, but the right idea. Right. Like to (laughs) me, that sounds like a cake. It does. It so does. Or cookies or something sweet. Right. With frosting. (laughs) Exactly. And, but they really, they did like that idea of like the cold. So they looked around the room, saw a refrigerator. refrigerator. No. (laughs) Frigid. But then they switched out the spelling to make it like fun and unique. And I love it. I know, according to that website we were just talking about, the Michigan Rock and Roll Legends, it even said that they did it kind of intentionally to look German. And different. And I thought that was interesting. And I realized bands like picked things to look more German. Band name changes in 1967. So we're talking late 60s now. We have to think about what other bands were popular right around this time. Because this is Detroit in the late 60s. You've got the MC5. You've got the Stooges. Like this was a huge era Mm -hmm. for Detroit music in particular, especially within this particular genre. I was going to say Detroit rock even, like, holy cow. I think I saw that Frigid Pink was classified more as psychedelic rock, whereas a lot of these are more like garage rock. But like that still it's that this particular niche of rock all concentrated in this one particular area as the Michigan Rock and Roll Legends website says up that I-75 corridor. And I 
love that because like you would think like with this overlap like they would all kind of overlap with each other and like almost influence each other but I'm not quite sure that it worked out that way yeah I wouldn't think so I mean I've seen in that same interview you mentioned earlier on the psychedelic baby that they felt kind of like outsiders because even though they were from Detroit they kind of toured different areas a heck of a lot more but they didn't feel like they were part of that Detroit music clique so they were like insiders but outsiders for a lack of a better way of explaining it so it's cool because like you said I don't think that they've been overly influenced by anyone or group of bands but have managed to maintain their own type of style I wouldn't go and say that they didn't have any of that influence like they did oh absolutely. Like they had Motown influence they had oh, yeah. that Detroit rock influence I mean part of when they were still the vibrations they covered Motown bands at like teen club so they definitely still had that influence it just wasn't quite as huge and it wasn't like they were all impacting each other in that time period but they all had like their niches like people still (laughs) remember this name even if they're not the mc5 or Mm. the stooges which is incredible i love that So we're going to talk more about like their first album and their first hits in just a little bit here. But because we've been talking about Detroit bands, I wanted to sort of talk about its impact first, because I think how it interacted with the Detroit music scene is interesting in and of itself. Ooh, okay. So this is going to be in 1970 when the single for this album comes out. And what's really interesting about the single is that it wasn't originally supposed to be a part of their first album. That just sort of happened. And we'll get into that more in a few minutes here. But it was like a huge success. Like that in and of itself was like fantastic. But then like some bands you would, with most bands, you think (laughs) like, oh, they're going to need to work a bit. Mm -hmm. They're going to need to put out one or two albums before they hit that level of success right absolutely i mean we've seen it with a lot of bands we've talked about before where it wasn't until the second or third album where they finally got their like hit single or whatever that would catch everyone's attention yeah and like sure it took like a few years but this is really like their first official yeah because before this like they were still in high school for a good chunk of this they were still in high school so this is probably like their first thing like not long after graduating by my math but because they were like so successful they start booking shows right Mm -hmm. they start booking like package shows like with the mc5 with the studios the bob seeger system Mm -hmm. bigger acts like what we would consider bigger acts nowadays that like were all sort of a part of the scene at the time and like you mentioned they still felt like outsiders yes absolutely like that surprises me that like they would have worked in the same area and just because of right out the gate they had this massive success because of a cover no less yes yes and i can't wait to talk more about that creation of the cover still Frigid Pink working with these other bands just it's weird hearing that they felt like outsiders when (laughs) when you like look at their lineups Mm -hmm. but at the same time then hearing that oh this is why like it kind of makes sense oh absolutely they were on the road too much to really be in Michigan and I think that like they just spent so much time on the road and away from Michigan in general that it felt hard to connect to any one place really here on the musical mitten we really like trivia However, we also have a tendency to talk forever about the things that really interest us. In an effort to solve this issue, we are giving ourselves exactly one minute. Wherever we are when the timer goes off, we have to stop. Mid-sentence, mid-word, mid-chaos. That's it. So, without further ado, welcome to the Mitten Minute. Ready? Set. Go. Okay. 
So, which other Michigan bands have we talked about that almost had members in Frigid Pink? Ooh. Oh, I read this. Um, It would have been MC5. Yes. And the Eagles, right? Yes. Bonus points if you know who. From the Eagles, it was Glenn Fry. Yes. And, oh, MC5 was Wayne Kramer? Yes. Yes. Okay. So they didn't specify why, but apparently Wayne ended up getting arrested for a minor charge, and so he didn't stay with the band long. Just under 30 seconds. (laughs) Glenn Fry had a different style that didn't match the band, but good for him because he went on to be part of the Eagles, and we all know how that goes. But, bonus, they also almost had the same producer as the Beatles, aka George Martin, but the record company was too greedy and wasn't super thrilled about the idea of sharing 20%. And, I mean, could you just imagine the amount of popularity they would have gained just from the name recognition alone? Are you serious? And they turned it down, walked away. Ridiculous. Thank you, I'm mad. (laughs) Time. You've been listening to The Musical Mitten. I'm Maggie. And I'm Bree. The Musical Mitten is a radio show turned podcast that started on WOCR 89.1 The One, Olivet College's own FCC licensed radio station in the fall of 2021. Our show explores Michigan music, which means we get to talk about the past and present of the state's music. In doing so, we've been able to meet artists from all across the state. If you want to get involved, please feel free to fill out the forms listed at the bottom of our website at themusicalmitten.com. So we've been talking about Frigid Pink and how they're just such an interesting band in the way that they're named, in the way that they have interacted with the Michigan music scene and how they felt like outsiders. And part of it being their initial success when they released their album in 1970, really because of the hit single that was on the album in the form of House of the Rising Sun. Now, if you haven't heard House of the Rising Sun (laughs) in any of its forms, not just Frigid Pink, but you could have heard Willie Nelson, you could have heard Bob Dylan, most popularly, probably The Animals. Yeah, there have been, I don't want to say a million, because that's definitely an exaggeration, but there have been a ton of covers of this song specifically. Just search it on Spotify. I started putting together a playlist (laughs) before we started recording the episode, because I was like, actually, how many covers of this are there? Because I figured it was going to be like, please, Mr. Postman levels of, there's so many covers. And I don't think I like got through them all, because it's like big bands and small bands alike all have covered House of the Rising Sun. And I think that's why it's so amazing and kind of astonishing that Frigid Pink of all bands got so big because of this cover. So many other people have done it and not had nearly this much recognition. Mags, you're dying. What's up? So here's the thing. When I was in high school, when I was in varsity choir, we did a unit on covers. The point of a cover is to create something entirely different. Like it is to, you can speed it up, you can slow it down, you can do it in all of these different styles, which is I really think what set Frigid Pink apart in this situation. Because when you hear House of the Rising Sun, you're going to think folk, you're going to think blues, you're going to think country, you're going to think all of like these almost softer, slower, like acoustic type Mm. covers of this song. Whereas as I described them earlier, Frigid Pink is a psychedelic rock band. Like it's a (laughs) lot harder. And even like if you really like the animals version of House of the Rising Sun being this folk song that it is, there's something entirely different. It gives me, we talked about them our first season during our favorites, I Prevail, when they covered Taylor Swift. It went from pop to this like, I wouldn't want to say like rock rock, but like, what's it called? Alternative, maybe? Punkish? Like, and that difference really did help set them up for success in the future because I remember them getting like significant amount of popularity for the one song. 
And it just reminded me of the frigid pink situation all over again. So it makes sense. Because they understood the point of a cover that it's be supposed different. to be different. Yes. Um, and there's something to do with like copyright law in there. Well, and yeah. especially with a Taylor Swift song, obviously. <laughs> but I just think it's so fascinating that they took this song that has been well known for years and years up at this point mm-hmm. and have turned it into something incredibly unique just through their style and it wasn't supposed to be on the album (laughs) no that's my favorite part of this whole story so this band they're very well rehearsed they practice regularly they you know they're on top of it and i really respect that in the band so when they blocked out their recording time and they paid for their recording time they ended up having extra time pretty consistently and so they ran through their entire set that they had intended to have on this album and had extra time so with that what was it, like 20 minutes of extra time? Something like that. Do you remember who encouraged them to do it during that slot? Oh, I don't. Okay. So during this 20 minutes that they had left over, one of the band members, Thompson, he suggested that they run through this song as a cover. And it literally took them one take. They did it once and then they were done. And that's it. The whole whole thing which if you're gonna have like a song just like on hand to be able to cover it's a good song everybody knew it or knows it like really if you think about it i don't want to say knows because i don't know if it stayed super popular but like especially at that time it was popular that's why there were so many covers so it's a song people would recognize would know the words too but would be different enough that you've got their attention And it's really smart. Like, I'm impressed. And they weren't, again, originally going to keep this on the album. He was playing it for his girlfriend's dad, like, to get his opinion. This is Paul Cannon, who was the program director at WKNR. And he played him this, this album to get his opinion, started playing House of the Rising Sun, and then, like, turned it off. Because it wasn't supposed to be a part of the album. And Cannon was like, no, like, play it. Turn it back on. <laughs> no, my favorite part of this story is, yeah, it caught his attention. So <laughs> later in this interview and in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame website, both of them mentioned that he thought he was going to get in trouble because they, you know, he was out in his car dropping his girlfriend off at home and, you know, they say goodbye the way most couples that age do. But her father comes up to the car and he thinks that he's in trouble. Like, oh, I've kept her too long. We're obviously like saying goodbye a little long. And instead he plays a song, but he's, it's on the radio. It's actually his cover of that song playing on the radio. Just imagine. Like, <laughs> this is so funny. Because, like, imagine you're you're sitting in your car. You're sitting with your significant other. Kind of just doing your thing, right? And your girlfriend's dad knocks on your window and says, turn on your radio. What would you do? Before the turn on your radio bit, I'd be mortified. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but then turn on the radio is confusion. I'd be like, what? <laughs> Like, what is, is there something like important going on in the news? Turn on the radio. Oh right. my God, it's the song that I recorded. Ah. Like, that's just, that's a lot of emotions in like 30 seconds time. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to process. Like, you'd need to leave me alone. Terror, for a confusion, week. and then like, but just that. Oh, I wouldn't be able to process those emotions for like a full week. No. Like, I would have to shut myself in my house and be like, oh my God, my song is on the radio. Oh my God, th- ah. this just happened. Like, I, it's so funny to me because how do you cope with that? You don't. (laughs) No, you just got to go keep being a band. You got to go. Just keep going, yeah. And I just, oh man. And for them to like still have made a name for themselves in the Detroit area to tour worldwide and kind of just to become this incredible name sort of because of a cover. And then, yeah, like we've mentioned after this, the whole band 
traveled in a Ford, like just a regular vehicle, and they traveled all over the place. And this, you know, was awesome and exciting, but also contributed part of that like outsider syndrome. Some of their original stuff even like wasn't as successful as the cover was, like to the point where they also covered Elvis's Heartbreak Hotel. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. And love Elvis. We've talked about Elvis a lot this season. I'm not mad about it. Okay. <laughs> like they still like it wasn't as popular as House of the Rising Sun, Mm-mm. but it was still like pretty popular. It held its own for sure. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting that, like, for a band that did create, like, some really interesting music in its time, that they're pretty much only known for their covers, which is a bit of a disappointment, but... Yeah, that is one thing the drummer in the Psychedelic Baby interview did kind of not complain about, but was sad about, I guess, was that because of the popularity from the their covers, they weren't as free to do, like, their music the way they wanted to because fans had expected a certain sound from them at that point. And then when their sound did change a little bit, it was not as well-received. Still well-received, but not nearly as popular, which I guess makes sense. It just is unfortunate because, like, when you're an artist and you're trying to make art, you want to be able to do it with absolute creative freedom. That's not entirely their fault. No, absolutely not. Because also, Clyde Stevers, Rick Stevers' father, mm-hmm. owned the rights to the band name. Oh, yep, yep. And I remember like, the story. pretty much did all of their managing and, like also had that expectation for a sound so they really didn't have much creative freedom in there and it like i really do think that limited them oh absolutely i'd be surprised if it didn't and he, the name was supposed to like go to rick stevers when he turned 21 but that didn't happen yeah because he was underage at the time when they were trying to get all of that yeah and it caused some chaos when it came to copyright and the na- band name stuff like for years but they did try to like revive the band later just because of like they did get the name rights to the band eventually just probably a little bit later or Mm. a lot a bit later really than they wanted to but they tried to rick stevers trying to revive the band in 2006 and apparently is still doing interviews as we've seen from that psychedelic baby and it was more recent than I realized, only a year ago, so it's not like they've been quiet for too long. No, I think they even like were playing a show in Toledo back in two, 2021. Ooh, I saw okay. a thing about. So they're still like somewhat active. I just don't think that we're seeing as much of them as we could have had they been within that clique of Detroit musicians, yes. had they had more creative freedom, like stuff like that. Little things that could have made a huge impact. But honestly, like, we haven't even covered, like, half of the (laughs) stuff that we wanted to cover this episode. We are running out of time right now. But if you want to look into more of their stuff, I would really recommend reading through that interview that we've referenced quite a few times now through the Michigan Rock and Roll Legends Hall of Fame website. Even more, like, there's just, there's so much information within those two alone that is so valuable but make sure that you're looking at the correct frigid pink because as we found out there was an imposter yes okay thank you thank you for giving me an opportunity even though we don't have much time during the interview we keep referencing the reporter had actually brought up the fact that in july july 31st 1971 there was a report of a booking agency out of dallas that was touring with a fake frigid pink across southeastern u.s and so apparently there was a fake frigid pink just 
going around touring. <laughs> no, and they were touring like at the same time. So there's like one account of them being like on one side of the country and one account being on the other side. So like having to clarify, okay, where were you? Yeah. When this happened. And then you can kind of like spot the bogus one. (laughs) Right. It was unfortunate though because they were never caught. Like they would have to, they weren't recognized on site back then. You didn't have as many videos of people, like, you know. So the band who had faked it never got caught faking it, despite that you could tell that the timelines didn't add up. Absolutely wild. Social media has just absolutely ruined (laughs) anonymity for us. But yes, you guys should really check it out more. You could hear about or read about how Led Zeppelin, before they were super well known, even opened for Frigid Pink ones, which is huge. There's so much we couldn't cram into this. Please go check it out. Yeah, maybe one day we'll come back to this as well when we have more time. But in the meantime, catch you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want more, check out our Instagram and Twitter at The Musical MI for announcements, events, and behind the scenes content. All of our past episodes, radio show, and podcast are on our website at themusicalmitten.com. Again, that's T-H-E-M-U-S-I-C-A-L-M-I-T-T-E-N dot C-O-M. We'll keep you posted on what's happening next here on The Musical Mitten.